0: All right, good. Start over. I'm glad you all made it through security, okay? Uh, They told me to take my shoes off this morning. I said, I'm TSA PreCheck, baby. I'm keeping these shoes on. And uh, how many of you like the new decorations in the auditorium? And uh, good. You guys can clap for that. And it's actually not for you at all. It's for Vacation Bible School getting started tonight. We're really looking forward to it. And uh, so if you would pray this week that God would do a great week, we want these kids to have a lot of fun. But more than that, for those that don't know Jesus, we want them to come to know Jesus. And for those that know the Lord, we want them to grow in the Lord. And this is always a fantastic, fantastic week. I want to thank in advance so many of you who uh, have prayed already, you've invited people, uh, you've committed to serve, and we're going to give our property over this week to a horde of wild animals they'll destroy everything you know you just about have to repaint and recarpet and redo the whole thing but how many of you would agree with me it's worth it to invest in the lives of these children all right and so i'm glad for that would you take your bibles this morning and join me in turning to acts chapter 9 acts chapter 9 if you're glad to be in church say amen wasn't the music awesome this morning and i enjoyed every bit of it one of the best things about being the pastor of coastline is i get to come to all the services so when this one's done i'm going to come back and they're going to sing all those songs again i'll get to hear it again we'll see if i cry the second time when i listen to my daughter sing but uh normally that fades off by the second service many of you know last week we began a new study together and we entitled it mission critical mission critical And, and we're coming to understand that There are a lot of good things that can be done in a life, in a family, in a business endeavor. And our primary application last week was in a church. There are a lot of good things that can be done. But there are some essential things that must be done if that entity is to move forward. And we're identifying some of those mission-critical aspects for our church family. This series of messages in many ways is a declaration of our church's purpose statement. Many of you know at the end of this month our church is celebrating... Our 21st anniversary together and and I thought it would be helpful here in the summer season to just kind of hit these buttons again Remind our church of what it's all about and our purpose as a church We went over it and over it and over it last week is to inspire people to develop a heart for God To include them in a loving church family and together we want to make an impact for the glory of God We want to inspire people to develop a heart for God include them in a loving church family And we want to make an impact for the Lord. Inspire, include, impact. Let's rehearse that together. Repeat those words with me. Ready, begin. Inspire, include, impact. That's our purpose as a church. And so last week, we began by discerning what would a life look like that inspires other people to develop a heart for God. And we allowed the life of David to serve as an example of this. And David lived an incredible life that really did inspire Not just those around him. In his case, it inspired an entire nation to turn to God. We saw that David did this in a variety of ways. First of all, we saw David was big enough to do small things well. I mean, as a man who was already serving in the palace, already he'd been anointed by the prophet to be the next king. At that time, his dad said, David, I want you to take this lunch to your brothers in the battlefield. And the Bible said he got up early. He made sure his carriage was taken care of. And, and he took that lunch. He was a kind of guy that thought, you know, I'm not too big for anything. Anything that, that advances uh, this purpose, I'm all for it. He was big enough to do small things well. Secondly, we saw that he was a guy that, that followed a cause that was bigger than he was. And when people were hesitant to get involved, David just asked the rhetorical question, is there not a cause? He was saying, really? We don't have a reason. We don't have a purpose. There is no objective. And his his rhetorical question had an obvious answer. The answer is, of course, there's a cause. David lived for a cause that was bigger than he was. And then finally, we saw that he kept it all about God all of the time. He said he fought Goliath that all the earth may know that there is a God. It was never about making a name for himself. It was always about lifting up the name of God. Not about ego, not about self-aggrandizement. It was about the Lord. And so today we're going to consider the power of including people into the body of Christ. And this is practically done at Coastline as we welcome people into the membership of our church. And, and by the way, this isn't in my notes, but I'll just go ahead and slip it in for free this morning. Um, we're living in a time where really the concept, the idea of church membership seems to be outmoded or outdated to some I really believe as we study the Bible, we find that every Christian should be connected to and have a relationship with a local New Testament Bible-believing church. God God did not create you for the church. He created the church for you. He knows we need it. And I believe it's important for every person of faith to say, you know, I'm glad for the work that God's doing around the world. But as far as my local connection and involvement, yes, I do have a church family. And so we include people uh, here by way of membership. We include people in our small groups where relationships are built and real life is lived. We include people in service and in ministry. And it's a dynamic and a wonderful thing when people come together through faith to worship God in a church family, to fellowship with other believers in and, and group settings, and to serve God in all the various ways that we have to serve God here. And similarly to last week, I'd like to consider a passage of Scripture that will allow us to observe someone who did this In a powerful way, in fact, the man we're going to meet in scripture today, he's really primarily known for one thing in all of the Bible, for including someone into the body of Christ. And he's a great example in this regard. So we'll be looking today in Acts chapter 9. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read this passage together, Acts chapter 9. And uh, we'll begin here in, in verse 10. The Bible says, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And this man, Ananias, is the one we're really going to be focusing on. The Bible says of this disciple named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. By the way, aren't you glad God knows your name? (laughs) He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows why you are. And if God actually spoke audibly to me, it would probably freak me out. We have the Bible now. We don't need that kind of revelation. What God says in his word is what we need. But I love the fact that God knows my name and he knows you. He, he said, Ananias, and, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. Now, again, I'll read on. I I love that. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. We're going to get to know who this Saul is as well in a moment. Brother Brother, um, sometimes in churches we'll say things like that. This is brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Here's the idea. Uh, Jesus likened spiritual salvation to being born again. And he said, you know how it was when you were born physically. At a point in time you came into being. He, he said it's the same way in faith. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, you're born into the family of God. And if you're born into the family of God, that means God is your father. And I'm a believer, that means God is my father. If you're a believer, that means God is your father. A people who share a father are family. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so this man, Ananias, he goes to, goes to Paul, uh, Saul, who will later be named Paul. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell, fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that he, Jesus, he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them? Which called on this name in, in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Now, that word Christ, you know, we think, well, that, that's the name of our Savior. Jesus is his name. Christ is a title. When the Bible uses the word Christ in this context, you know he he taught that that this is the very Christ. The word Christ in the language of the New Testament is Christos. It was referring to the promised one in the Old Testament. And so Paul was preaching, hey, this one Jesus who lived, who did all the miracles, who preached and taught, the one that we crucified, and he rose again from the dead. That's the one promised from the Old Testament. He is Jesus Christ the son of God. And in the midst of verse 15, if you want to look back there, we find a statement about this man Saul. Uh, The Lord said of him, he is a chosen vessel. At that time, uh, he was doing nothing of consequence or significance. But the Lord said, he's a chosen vessel. I have much through which uh, his life that I'd like to get done. And uh, I want us to think on this together this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word, for the truth of it. And uh, God, I pray you'd open our hearts today. Stir us. May we not just listen to this message, but may we allow it to enter into our hearts, to impact, to touch the way in which we live. I pray that you'd be glorified through this study, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You May be seated. To be honest with you, I kind of had a bad attitude. I've been asked to speak at a meeting in the south and I was glad to go and glad to speak and, and I was informed when I got there that they were going to have in between the sessions during the daytime and, and before the services at night they were going to have meals and, and I thought I would go to the sessions and I would speak when I was asked to speak and maybe listen to some others but I had really no intention of partaking in the more social part of this particular pastor's meeting that I was invited to attend and and yet I was I was told in no uncertain terms, hey, that's kind of part of it. We want you here. And, and uh, so I, I decided, all right, I'd better go. I wasn't really excited about going, and I did what... Uh, I always do in situations like that, particularly when I, when I don't know people. Uh, I arrive for the particular meal I'm thinking of a little bit late, and I decided I will sit in the back, and I will then leave a little bit early. You know how some of you guys do for church every week. You know, and a few minutes late, and, and as soon as you can get out the back door, boom, you're gone. And uh, that's kind of how I uh, decided to work that day. As I walked in, a pastor uh, who's at this meeting, he was from North Carolina, he came up to me and, and uh, he said, do you have anywhere to sit? Well, I didn't, and I had just walked in, and he said, why don't you sit here at our table? Well, I appreciated that, and I sat down, and he did what you might expect. I think there were eight of us at that table, and he went around and introduced everybody to me, and there were, there were a few people in this room of probably 60 or uh, 75 pastors. There were few that few that, that I knew, none of them very well, uh, but now he introduced me to eight other people. And uh, sure enough, we, we began to talk, and I actually joined uh, in the conversation. in the, In the course of the talk, it was brought up that I had something in common with a guy sitting at another table, and so... This same pastor, Tim, he, he said, come on, I want to introduce you to this guy. You guys have something in common. And we walked over, and, and I began talking to a pastor at, at another table and came back. And, and uh, listen, I, I'm a little bit surprised to uh, admit this to you as kind of a shy uh, type of a person. I actually had a great time in that social setting. I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed meeting people. And uh, uh, I thought I would leave early, and I was among the very last to leave that day, and, and there's really one reason why that night became a great experience for me. Actually, there's one person responsible for that meeting being a good experience in my life. It was that pastor from North Carolina named Tim who went out of his way to welcome me and to include me in the event. And I don't know if it was that obvious that. I needed someone to help me that that I'm a bit shy it's it's interesting I, I am if you get me in a social setting I'd be one of the more quiet people in this room and yet uh, I'm nervous every Sunday when I preach but I've got to tell you I've studied enough and and I'm convinced by the time I get up here on Sunday that I have something to say that it's from the Bible therefore it's worth being heard and I believe it's true because I've studied it out and and uh, I'm always nervous when I get going but once I start preaching I I'm filled with confidence. I, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to do. But, but in, a, in a more social setting, it's a little bit different. Maybe he noticed, hey, Steve's here. He's, he's done some speaking, but he's in a social setting. Let me reach out and, and be kind. And be kind. We were in a crowd, and everyone in the crowd seemed to know one another, but I was not part of that crowd. Now, I want you to imagine how the Apostle Paul felt after coming to Christ. Not only was he not part of those who follow Jesus, his literal job before becoming a follower of Jesus was to persecute Christians. Had you met him and said, so what do you do for a living? He would have said, well, uh, I've got letters from the authorities. It's it's literally my job to travel around and and bother Christians and to persecute Christians and put them in jail. And, And he could have said, we've even killed some of these Christians. That had been his job. I mean, not only was Paul not a part of this body of Christ, but he was also a man who had been antagonistic. He was was notorious for his hatred and cruelty towards people of faith. And and as we read, Saul came to Christ in in an amazing way. We uh, kind of picked the story up a little bit after that, but he came to know Jesus in a remarkable way. After his conversion, he was blind for a time. And during that time, God had put on the heart of a man by the name of Ananias, to reach out to Paul, who's now called Saul in this passage, and, and he was to help him and include him in the body of Christ. And it was in this encounter that we find some great insight as to how our lives can be used to bless others and to include others in this way. Now again, I'm preaching to a church and I'm preaching about the church. That's the primary thrust of these particular messages leading to our anniversary Sunday. But the principles in this study, it applies to every part of life. It'll help us in our families. It'll help us on our jobs. It'll help us in every every way. So how would we go about achieving our purpose of including people, in this case, in a loving church family? Let me share a few of these principles with you today. First of all, We must live the life of availability. We must live the life of availability. Now in verse 10, uh, the Bible said here in our text, And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Here he is in the midst of a busy moment in life, to a degree a stressful moment of life, and and yet we find that Ananias was the kind of man that had a heart that was open to hear from God. He was available to be used by God and to be used for God. I think it needs to be said that at times we get so busy in life that we, we find it hard to make time for other people. We stay so maxed out from one end of the day to the other end of the day. And I'm all for living a productive life. But sometimes we are so busy that even if an opportunity from God came along to be a blessing in someone else's life, we we fail to take it. And we've all been there. But it's such a healthy move on our part to make the decision that we will be open to serve Jesus. And and should the Lord bring someone across our path that needs to be included, that we, like Ananias, will say, what do you need done, Lord? I'm on it. Behold, I'm right here, God. I'm I'm here to serve you. Now, as I went through this 10th chapter of Acts, I was shocked at all the terms used to refer to those who were followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we would say, Christians, you mean. And, and I would say, yeah, I'm referring to Christians, but that word hadn't even been invented yet. That term doesn't even come until Acts chapter 11. And so in Acts chapter 9, we find that Luke, the human author of the book of Acts, is, is writing about these who are followers of Jesus Christ. And seven times in this one chapter, he refers to them as Disciples which just means followers. These were followers of Jesus Christ. You see, the contemporary notion that we can claim to be saved spiritually, but there's no intention on our part of truly following Jesus, that was a foreign concept to these Christians in the first century. That was an incongruent concept to them. They, they would have never thought, how could somebody say they're a Christian and then live as though they're not a follower of Jesus? And so when people looked at these ones who knew Jesus, that they, they, they referred to them seven times in this one chapter, They're disciples, and we know that because they're following Jesus. In verse 2, they are called people of this way. They had a way about them, a way in which they live. Three times they are called saints, and two times they are called those that call on God's name. And the point that I want you to see from this is the fact that those who follow Jesus, they were both identified and they were identifiable. People could look at their lives and say, hey, they're one of those, whatever you want to call them, disciples, they're they're saints, they're people of that way, they're people that uh, call on God, they're they're identified because they were identifiable. There were things going on in their lives that that set them aside in that sense. They, They had a crowd and they had a culture, and here's the thought, and Paul would have been profoundly aware that he was not part of that crowd. And he was not part of that culture. Paul, Paul could identify people of faith. And he was aware, you know, that they've got a relationship, these people. And I'm not part of it. Were it not for someone like Ananias, there's no telling how Paul's beginning in the Christian life would have gone. It took one person looking up from a busy life, a long to-do list, uh, uh, to, to see the need of another person and enter into their lives with love. Now, it's true, some people are really good at this. How many of you have ever met somebody who just had a knack at making people feel comfortable? Uh, My wife is that way. Most of you know my wife, Lisa, and she's just the friendliest person ever. We took a walk along the beach the other day, and uh, I'm telling you, about about every uh, every minute or so, she'd say, oh, I know them, or I know them, or a family would walk by, and we'd stop and talk with them. She just knows everybody, and she's uh, got a great smile, and she's quick to laugh, and she always seems to know what to say. She really has a gift uh, with people. And then there's people like me. Who are not like that, you know, and uh, sometimes it's a little harder for me and maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I'm kind of like Lisa It's easy for me to uh, just go out of my way and talk to people and never met a stranger Uh, Maybe you're a little bit more like me and you'd say that's not my real personality type Regardless of who you are or how you are I want you to understand that is god's expectation that we as his body the church That we would all do what he wants us to do in terms of of reaching out to others and including them. It seems strange that God would need to tell us to be nice, but He does. He says, kids, he's the father, remember? Be nice. In Ephesians 4:32, the Bible says, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you. you you know what saul whose name would become paul needed at this moment in his life he needed someone to be kind and tender-hearted and for sure forgiving i mean ananias probably knew people personally that 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 uh, uh, paul had assaulted he needed someone to treat them the way the lord had treated them what paul needed was that person to come in his life and 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 god made this known to ananias who ultimately said i'm here lord he said i'm right i'm right here what what do you need done so we must live the life of availability here's the second thought we must believe in the redemptive power of the gospel and that statement may need some explanation you're going to get it as i unpack this truth but we must believe in the redemptive power of the gospel Now, Ananias did eventually reach out to Paul in Christian love, but the full story is it took him a minute. He had some concerns. He had some questions. God said, I want you to reach out to Paul and include him. And and in verses 13 through the beginning of verse 15, the Bible says, then Ananias answered, Lord, um, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he's a chosen vessel unto me. Here's the point. Ananias, initially, when God said, Hey, I want you to go reach out to him, he thought, You know, there's risk in reaching out to other people. There's a degree of vulnerability in putting yourself out there to speak with other people. In fact, Ananias thought, You know, this may not go well. I've heard of this guy. And what ananias said was not untrue everything he said was factual paul did have a bad reputation he had a bad track record nobody in the church at that time would have considered paul a good candidate for a companion but the power in this comes down to believing that the power of the gospel can redeem anyone's life from what it has been before The gospel message we know contains great power Romans 1 16 the Bible says for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek and and the gospel's power is not just limited to that moment when someone passes from death unto life their sins are forgiven they're assured of a home in heaven that moment the Bible refers to as justification the power of the gospel in its fullest complete sense involves the process the Bible speaks of of sanctification that part of time in life where we grow in the Lord and we begin to look and live more like Jesus and I'm telling you today that we ought to be very optimistic in reaching out to other people because if they've embraced the gospel message they have all the power from God they'll ever need to see their life changed to look more and more like the Lord I wonder how many people have not grown in their Christian lives because those around them thought oh they'll never change they'll never change he was in his early 40s but he looked way older than that he lived a really hard life and at the time i met him i was at my home church in long beach years ago when i was growing up and there were a few of us that would get together on sunday mornings we'd meet at five and we'd go around to some of the local stores we'd made a relationship with and we'd get their day-old bread and danishes and stuff like that and Then we'd go back to the church and make the strongest coffee the world had ever known. And if the spoon stood up in the pot, that was just about right. And and the homeless people in that area would come rolling in. And we'd have a service for them at, at seven. It wasn't that they weren't welcome to the other services. Frankly, they didn't want to be a part of... Society that's why they were living as they were so we had a service for them and they'd come in and they'd eat pastries And they would drink coffee and the deal was if they came in We were going to preach the paint off the walls and do everything we could to uh, encourage them in the Lord when when I met this man His name was Leroy He came in and his life was obviously a mess living on the streets and all the vices that you can think of that accompanies that lifestyle and and uh, he, he heard the gospel message And one day he prayed following a sermon to trust Jesus, to turn from his sin unto Jesus, to trust Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And and he kept coming back. I understand that one can make a profession of faith, but maybe not understand in their heart, but there was, there was evidence. This, this guy had trusted Jesus. He got a hold of the gospel message, and he kept coming back, and he started asking questions about things, and he said he was reading his Bible. Then for a time, we missed him. He was just gone, and we thought, oh, man, I wonder what he's up to. And, uh, and, and Leroy came back. He let us know when he came back. He said, you know, I, I went home to visit uh, my family. I wanted them to know I'd become a Christian. And I had to make some things right that were wrong when I left. And, and uh, I just wanted you guys to know where I was. He continued to grow. He became a part of the uh, fabric even of our church family. He'd still come at 7, but he started helping. He was more a server than just a recipient of that ministry. And and then he'd go to the services later uh, in the morning for our church family. In time, a position opened up on our church for a maintenance worker. And Leroy was the one that got the job. And this one that came to the church originally from living on the streets, living that type of a lifestyle, literally becoming a part of the staff team at that church. How did that happen? That all happened by way of the power of the gospel. You cannot legislate Morality. You can't just command people to change their lives, but Jesus lovingly did a work on the inside. That man's life changed. Why? The power of the gospel. You know, there's no telling what can become of people when they are in an environment that loves them and includes them. And listen, this is not limited just to those who come from backgrounds we'd consider to be tough. It may be a person in the grips of addiction, or it may be someone in the grips of affluence. Whenever we bring our habits and hurts and our hangups to the Lord, we see that he has the capacity to change us. You see, everyone needs someone to care for them and reach out to them in love. This is how inclusion takes place. One person at a time, someone like Ananias, sensing the leading of God, answering that call to go to someone like Saul, who would become the apostle Paul and intervene in his life. That leads us to the final point I'll share with you this morning. We must get personally involved. We must get personally involved. The end of uh, the Apostle Paul's story is found in this text in verses 20 through 22. Share with us that he went on to become a great preacher of the gospel. Uh, The most impactful Christian, certainly, uh, of the early church, some would say the most impactful christian of all time Uh, the life he went on to lead for the lord was incredible Uh, the single most uh uh, impactful minister many have said uh in in the history of the church And, and all of this started through the involvement of one person ananias who looked at someone and had enough empathy to think you know he needs someone to reach out to him to help him to include him from time to time people will share with me that we need a new ministry Forgive me, I've pastored here almost 21 years now. I can read through those words. Pastor, I've got some more stuff you need to do. (laughs) I'm doing enough stuff. Uh, I'm not opposed to ministries, but let me tell you what we need more than new ministries. Are you listening? We need new ministers. We need more people to step up and say, you know, if more is going to get done, we're going to need more in, in the work. How can I help? I say this if you see a need, take the lead. Great idea. You do that. It's not just more ministries, it's more ministers. We need people who will see this mission that God has given us as critical and will understand that. that uh, including people is mission critical whether you have a lanyard around your neck on sundays that says you're a host or a greeter or or a children's worker whatever the case may be whether you have a lanyard or not i want you to know it is each of our jobs to include people to include people i love the way the bible records the personal involvement that ananias brought to paul's life in verse 17 we read "And ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him There is something affirming about the human touch. I don't know, I kind of envision a a hand on the shoulder. Putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me. How sweet do you think those words, Brother Saul, were to that new believer? The verses that follow, we learn that Ananias and Paul, they shared meals It's a great way to build a relationship. Uh, Paul was strengthened physically. He was strengthened spiritually. And from the foundation of being included into the fellowship of other believers, he grew in the Lord and he came to the point where he served Jesus with all of his heart. There is something about ministry. It does for me what nothing else can do. Uh, it, it's better than money, than fame, than, than, than any of it. I, I just love it when Jesus Christ radically changes a life. I, I love it. I love it when I see people uh, get saved and then they're, they're babes in Christ, to use the biblical analogy, and, and they begin to grow in the Lord. And, and, and they start seeing their life change. And they have a desire to see their friends and their family reach. And, and there's something about it. I could watch it all day, every day. It's why I do what I do. friends there's something better than having a front row seat and observing life change and what is better is being personally involved in the process it's knowing someone and loving someone and serving them and praying for them and helping them and partnering with them and including them guys i'm telling you this nothing beats that in the entire world Nothing beats that in the entire world. Listen, grow, grow in your in your career. Uh, do, do all those things. Get, get those things you're going after. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm fine with living a, a life that accomplishes much. But, but I want you to know that at the end of the day, nothing will be of a greater consequence than what you did in your life for the glory of God. And that involves ministering to other people. I heard from a pastor not too long ago. He was... Nearing that retirement age, he's about 65, and he had an incredible uh, church, and he'd been there for years and years and years. In fact, he started the church, and I love it when I meet a pastor who starts a church and stays there his whole ministry, because they're like unicorns. You just, you hardly ever see guys like that, and that's the kind of guy I want to be. He loved his church, and again, God had used him in an incredible way, but he just thought, you know... um, I think it's time for some fresh leadership for the church it's probably time for me to step aside and so he spent a lot of time trying to figure out the best transition plan for that church family thinking of their needs and and as he came to the end of that process he thought but you know i'm not ready to die yet myself i still want to do something with my life i i have no intention of getting out of this process where we get to see lives changed by the power of the gospel and and he began to think what am i going to do with the rest of my life I, I don't want to just go hang out. I don't want to sit. I, I don't want to waste my time. I want to make the most of every day that God has given me. And he kind of got consumed with this matter of what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And maybe you've met a Marine who retired from the Marine Corps. That There's a real thing there because... You kind of find your identity in what you do. As much as we know that shouldn't be done, it's a thing. And I've not retired from the Marine Corps, but some of you guys have, and some of you uh, will this week even, and, and uh, it, it's a process. And I think it's similar, if you would, for pastors because, like, pastor's not my name. My name is Steve, but most of you guys call me whatever you want. Most of you guys call me pastor, and, and you kind of get your identity wrapped up in what you do, and he was going to set that aside, but he still knew there was a purpose. So he made a decision. He decided he was going to get away for a week and be all by himself. And he was asking God to help him put together what he was to do with the rest of his life. A solid week. He didn't talk to anybody. He went to a resort kind of place. It was a timeshare. and He got all his groceries. He locked himself in his room. And he just spent that whole week. Did not talk to one person other than Jesus Christ. And uh, he had some books and some things he'd written down already. But he just thought, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? At the end of the week... He emerged from his isolation. He wanted to get something to eat, and the closest place to where he was was the little snack shop by the swimming pool in the the hotel that he'd gotten away to. And uh, he walked uh, there and ordered something to eat, and and, uh, he said there was a guy sitting next to him, and he was just sitting there, and he was drinking a beer. And here's the pastor. He's sitting there just fresh off a week, not talking to anybody, only to the Lord, planning the rest of his life. Being passionate about living for a purpose. And uh, here's this guy here. He's drinking a beer. And and, uh, so this guy asked him, what brings you here? And the pastor said, I'm getting ready to retire. And I'm just trying to map out the rest of my life. And this guy over here said, me too. Well, the pastor, this is what he'd been wrestling with exclusively. And so he asked this guy. He said, well, what did you come up with? And uh, as he shared the story, he said that man held his beer up and he said, I figured it out. I'm going to drink and go fishing. Friends, I want to tell you today, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more to it than that. There are people to be inspired to... Develop a heart for God. That's our job to do. And for those that know him, we must include them into a loving church family. I'd imagine that Ananias had no clue exactly what the apostle Paul would grow to become. But the power of his touch, his influence, his inclusion made a difference, not just in Paul's life. Listen to this. It's Paul's ministry that brought the gospel to the Gentile world. That's us for the most part. The ministry of Ananias in a sense, touches our lives in that way. I love the story of Edward Kimball. It was 1855. He was a Sunday school teacher at a, at a church in Boston. There was a boy who was a little bit socially backward. Aren't you glad God can use people like that? His name was Dwight. He just didn't fit in. Edward decided he'd reach out to him, so he went to where... This kid worked, he just happened to work at a shoe store, a helper in a shoe store. So Mr. Kimball, just a member in the church, he he thought, you know, I'm going to reach out to this kid. The first thing he did was he inspired him to develop a heart for God. He just asked him point blank, Dwight, do you know if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? And Dwight said, you know, I'm not sure. He said, do you mind if I share with you how you can know? He shared the gospel and Dwight got saved and then, then he began to grow in the Lord. Fast forward 21 years later, Dwight is now the most renowned evangelist in all of the world. Globally recognized, being used of God in an incredible way. It was 1879 and, and he was preaching one time and there was a man there by the name of Frederick who was a discouraged pastor, and he came to hear Dwight preach, just hoping he would get some encouragement because he was considering quitting. And this meeting was taking place in England. And so Dwight preached and Frederick listened. And it was in that meeting he made the decision to just keep going for God. Years later, Frederick moved to the United States, was a part of uh, of, a, of a college uh, training Christian workers and and he continued to preach and and his schedule got so full He needed some help. So he he hired someone to help him a man by the name of Billy He'd been a professional baseball player, but he had come to know Jesus and he was going to get involved in ministry And so he he hired Billy one time Billy was preaching and there was a man listening by the name of of Mordecai Mordecai went on himself to become a a preacher and and one day he was preaching and there was a young boy at a At a local high school in North Carolina by the name of Billy who heard Mordecai preach And when Mordecai asked that question in the conclusion of his sermon Do you know if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? Billy in his heart thought I don't know that and it was that day that Billy got saved and Billy's last name is Graham and he recently went to heaven, but he too was known the world over As a man that loved Jesus and shared the gospel message, it has been said over a million people came to know Jesus through his ministry. All of the names I shared with you today are people who shaped Christianity in the last 150 or 200 years. I was speaking to you of men like D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, Frederick is better known as F.B. Meyer, one of the more prolific authors and, and preachers in the last couple hundred years. Billy Sunday was an evangelist that traveled the world over. Mordecai Ham, again, greatly used of God. And finally, Billy Graham. Why? Well, I want to go all the way back to Edward Kimball. He was a man that said, there are some things that are mission critical in my life. There's a lot of good I can do, but there are some things that are essential. And he made the decision, I want to inspire people to develop a heart for God. And then he worked at including them into a loving church family. And the last couple hundred years in church history is shaped by one guy that went to a church in Boston that said, hey, how can I help around here? Well, we got a boys Sunday school class that needs some help. They're a little rowdy sometimes, a little bit rough. And he said, I can do that. What an impact goes back to the heart of someone who was like ananias who also changed the world he just thought well i can love on anybody i can include them imagine with me what would happen if just us in this room Said, i want to be that kind of person i want to inspire people to develop a heart for god and it's really just as simple as asking them hey do you know if you were to die today, you'd spend forever in heaven. And for those that don't know, we can share a simple gospel message. You could take one of our church tracks even and, and share the verses. And, and then there's this important process of including people in a loving church family. Imagine with me what would happen if we would be like Ananias or Edward Kimball and just see people the way God sees them, people that he loves. We reach out to them. Friends, as we do that, we'd be heading right down our purpose statement, making the impact that God would have us to make. Our Father, we're very thankful for the clarity with which this truth was demonstrated in the life of Ananias. God, I would imagine that most of us can look back in our lifetimes to moments, times, seasons when people came into our lives and they said things we needed to hear. They encouraged us when we were down. They helped us when we just needed uh, an extra set of hands and God, I pray that we do that in every way, but in particular in a spiritual way, in a in a church setting, I pray that we would be the kind of people that would, would see people. And if we don't know them, we'd introduce ourselves, that we'd ask them to have a place to sit. Why don't you sit here with me? That we, like Ananias, would come to the point where we'd invite people to share a meal and, and help them and love them and encourage them. God, help us not to see ministry as something that just the minister does, but. Help us, dear God, to see that we are all called to be ministers for Jesus Christ.